How many of you uh, remember a great 90s classic movie, City Slickers? Right? We probably, even if you're younger, you've probably seen this movie because it's such a classic, such a great movie. There's something that happens in this movie that I, I want to launch us into our theme this morning that is pretty interesting. You'll remember Mitch. Mitch is uh, Billy Crystal who's traveled out west from New York City, and uh, he's been living in New York City, and he can't figure out life. Now, that's not a shocker, but um, he can't figure out how to do life. He's just lost. He doesn't know what to do, and he heads out west to try to go on this this uh, cattle drive, thinking that in the middle of New Mexico somewhere, he's going to figure out what he can do about his life. And he kind of does. Curly is the trail boss. You remember Curly? He's this rough and tough cowboy. He uh, kind of looks like he's lived in the sun his whole life. And uh, that's Jack Palance. And he's just this old, really tough trail boss. And him and Curly and Mitch are riding their horses uh, just alongside the cattle one day. And um, Mitch is kind of complaining about life, and Curly says, you know, the problem with you city folk is that you spend 50 weeks of the year getting your, knot, your rope all tied up in knots, and then you think coming out here for two weeks will untie all your knots. And it won't. It's not how life works. Curly says, life is really about one thing. And Mitch says, oh, great, what's the one thing? And Curly says, well, I don't know. That's what you have to figure out. <laughs> See, every single one of us, while we live life on this planet, we're trying to figure out the one thing. How many of us have tried other things? Right? We've all tried everything else, right? And it still isn't the one thing. This morning, we're going to talk about the one thing. But before we do, I want to ask you a question. What's your one thing? What's your one thing? I was thinking for a minute about a seamstress. A seamstress that makes beautiful wedding dresses for brides. And her one thing is to see that bride walking down that aisle wearing her beautiful dress that she made for that bride's special day. That's her one thing. It's October, and October means baseball. That's right, right? So we're, we're heading into the, the baseball postseason, and as we do, all of the players that are still playing are thinking about one thing. What are they thinking about? Winning the World Series. That's right. And from the time those men were little boys in Little League, they were, they've been thinking this one thing, right? I just would like to win the World Series. That's their one thing. And they put all of their time, all of their resources, all of their effort, all of their strength, all of their mental ability. They put all of it into this one thing, winning the World Series. Now, we know that there, there can be tons of one things, but what this baseball player wants, he just wants to win the World Series. So what's a win for you? When you think about your life, what's a win for you? What's your one thing? In the verses we're going to look at today, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us what our one thing is as believers in Christ. As believers in Jesus, Paul's going to lay out that our one thing should be to win people for Jesus. 
that's our one thing. Now, this one thing is extremely important because as believers, we understand what's going on in the world. We get it. We know what what happens at the end of all this. We know what happens at the end of our life. We know what happens at the end of the world. And we know the point of everything here is to be in relationship with our Heavenly Father, our Creator, our Sustainer, our Savior. We understand that as believers. And the more we read God's Word and the more we live for the Spirit, the more we understand what it means to live out this one thing, to win people for Jesus. We understand that eternity is real, that eternal life and eternal death are real consequences. They're not fake. They're not myths. They're not make-believe. They're real. And we know that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead so that you and I never have to be separated from God, so that no one on this planet ever has to be separated from the best thing in their life, Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is going to talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Turn there with me. I hope you've been enjoying uh, studying 1 Corinthians chapter by chapter and mining deep spiritual truths out of it and good theologies. That's what's great about studying a book from the beginning to the end. Now look at verse 19 with me. I'm going to study the second half of the chapter this morning together, and then we'll apply some things to our lives. So look at verse 19 with me. Now, even though I am free from obligations to others, I joyfully make myself a servant to all in order to win as many converts as possible. I became Jewish to the Jewish people in order to win them to the Messiah. I became like one under the law to gain the people who were stuck under the law, even though I myself am not under the law. And to those who are without the Jewish laws, I became like them, as one without the Jewish laws, in order to win them. Although I'm not outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. I became weak to the weak, to win the weak. I've adapted to the culture of every place I've gone so that I could more easily win people to Christ. I've done all this so that I would become God's partner for the sake of the gospel. Isn't it obvious that all runners on the racetrack keep on running to win? But only one receives the victor's prize. Yet each one of you must run the race to be victorious. A true athlete will be disciplined in every respect, practicing constant self-control, in order to win a laurel wreath that quickly withers. But we run our race to win a victor's crown that will last forever. For that reason... I don't run just for exercise or box like one throwing aimless punches, but I train like a champion athlete. I subdue my body and get it under my control so that after preaching the good news to others, I myself 
won't be disqualified. Now, you probably saw a word scattered all throughout this section over and over again. It was the word win. And Paul talks about the one thing that is really important in our lives is to win people for Jesus. Now, I want to use the word win as an acronym this morning. I want to apply some principles that we can get from the word, from this acronym of the word win. So join me this morning as we look at it in kind of a fun way. So first of all, the word W or the letter W. The letter W stands for worship Jesus. The first step to winning people for Jesus is our worship. And I think sometimes we skip this step. Sometimes we don't think of it very highly, but it is. In fact, it's probably the most important part of our sharing Jesus with others because worship is how we live. It's how we live for Jesus. It's our actions, our choice of words, our decisions about how we will live in this world. It's our pursuit of holiness. It's our obedience to God's word and to the Holy Spirit so that God is honored in our lives. Worship is how the world sees us as well. Now, let me share with us for a minute one of the things that I think is a problem for us in America with our one thing and with our worship. And it's this. It's the balance of being and doing. Now, in America, we really like our doing, don't we? We say that to, us, to each other all the time. What are you going to do tomorrow? Well, here's what I'm going to do. Here's on my list tomorrow. When we're young and we're kids... We get this question asked all the time. What do you want to be when you grow up? Now, let me, let me say the question again. What do you want to be when you grow up? And then we say something like, I want to be a, a fireman or a teacher or an engineer or a professional athlete. But that's not your being. That's your doing. And so in America, we have this challenge of the balance of who we are and what we do. And so in America, we wrap up our identity into what we do instead of who we are. And so as we think about that question again, what do you want to be when you grow up? Our answer should probably be, I want to be kind, compassionate, godly, loving, gracious, giving, courageous, strong, spiritually powerful. That's who I be. That's who I am. I think in our culture, what is challenging is we've mixed that up so much that we've kind of flubbed what our identity becomes. Because living for Jesus flows out of being a new creation. It is our worship. And Paul says one of the biggest parts of our worship is winning people for Jesus. Listen to how Paul describes his own worship. In verse 19, he said, I joyfully 
make myself a servant to all in order to win as many converts as possible. And then in verse 25, he said, a true athlete will be disciplined in every respect, practicing constant self-control in order to win a laurel wreath that quickly withers. But we run our race to win a victor's crown that will last forever. Now, verse 25 can be pretty confusing for us today in our world. I think mostly because our world is changing. If you go to a a, a soccer game on a soccer field anywhere in the United States today, which athletes win something today? All of them. Every kid gets a trophy. So what are we encouraging them to do? To train for. We're encouraging them to train for nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because I can be lazy and do nothing and I get a reward. (laughs) And I can train really hard and be the best soccer kid on my team and I get the same reward that Lazy Joe got. What are we training kids? To do nothing. To be disciplined in nothing. To work hard for nothing. But Paul says in his day, in the first century, the athletes that trained, here's what's interesting. Did you catch this? Only one got the prize. This wasn't like the Olympics. There wasn't a silver and bronze medal. There was only a gold medal. And everybody else got a, try harder next time. (laughs) That's it. And Paul says that's what we should be like. We should be like that runner that wins the gold medal. We're training We're working hard for Jesus. But Paul says this. Paul says, my worship is joyful living. I just love to be in love with Jesus, and I love to share that with everyone around me. I'm just a joyful person, and that's what you'll see me like, a joyful life. I'm going to be a servant to all. That's part of my worship is just serving everyone. Part of my worship is winning converts to Jesus. My worship is being disciplined in every respect of my life. My worship is practicing self-control. I'm going to run this race to win. And Paul says, I understand that forever is more important than now. But all of this flows out of a relationship with Jesus. It's not something you strive for. It's something you are. Somebody once made this quote. Share Jesus with everyone, and if you have to, use words. Good quote. Share Jesus with everyone, and if you have to, use words. That's worship. That everything in our life is sharing the life of Jesus. Because our worship says more than our words. Our actions speak louder than our words. And if our actions and our words don't honor Jesus, then when we try to share Jesus with someone, it's just going to fall flat. Because that person in their mind, as you're sharing Jesus with them, they're going to be thinking and the enemy is going to be telling them, this person doesn't really live for Jesus, do they? I mean, you're watching them, but you don't see that. So why should you? So our worship is the very most important first part 
of our life in Christ. It's this discipline and this self-controlled part of our life. Our worship to Jesus is the way we show the world what our one thing is. So W is worship Jesus. I is influence. Influence. You have influence. All of us have influence. And you may say, Pastor Mark, you don't know me very well. I don't have any influence. That's not true. You just haven't found out where and how and with who you can have influence with. But every single one of us has influence. Take moms, for instance. Sometimes I hear moms say, I don't really feel like I have influence, but that's not true. Moms may have the most influence on the planet, and they're thinking they have the least, but they probably have the most, right? Because all of us needed a mom that would model the life of Jesus Christ to us and open the word together with us, teach us how to pray, teach us what's right and wrong. We needed a mom. We needed a dad that would tell us what it's like to live for Christ. You can have influence right at home. You can have influence everywhere. You can have influence at work. You say, I'm not the boss at work. You don't have to be the boss to have influence. Just serve Jesus right where you're at. You can have influence with those around you by showing them what a life devoted to Jesus looks like. And the world needs that. And maybe you are the boss. If you are the boss then you can show employees what a life devoted to Jesus looks like as you serve them with servant leadership like Jesus served us. All of us have influence. You can have influence with your neighbors, with the kids that live on your street. You can have influence by choosing to serve in a ministry here at Cheney Faith Center. You can have influence by serving someone in our community. You can drive down to Malden right now and have influence because everybody's looking for someone to help them. You can have influence down there just by helping a family get their needs met. Did you know every single time that you give financially to our church, you're using your influence? Every time. Because you're helping our church have influence for Jesus in our city and to the ends of the earth. When you give to one of our missionaries that we support, it helps their influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever they're at in the world. When you give to Bite to Go, your financial influence is helping a child have food on the weekend, and at some point they're going to hear that that's Cheney Face Center that's helping them get food every weekend, and maybe they'll come here one day and their family will get saved. Everything we do can have influence. Paul said it like this in verse 23. I've done all this, and he's talking about his whole life, living with Jews, living with Greeks, living with the weak and the strong. I've done all this so that I would become God's partner for the sake of the gospel. Let me ask you a question. What does it sound like? What do you think it would feel like to be God's partner? Does that sound pretty good? Like you're partnering with God and God's partnering with you? That sounds like a pretty cool life. 
That happens as we use our influence to win people for Jesus. You will find as you go out into the world every day to win people for Jesus, you will find that God is right there with you because you're partnering with him. You can be a partner with God. Now, if you're a Christian, you're on the team. You're on the team for winning people for Jesus. It's a part of being a Christian. And the team's goal is to win people for Jesus. Because helping a person believe in Jesus for the first time is the greatest thing in the world. And we want to use our influence to point people to Jesus. Now, at Cheney Faith Center, we have a mission statement. Hopefully you know it. It's fairly simple. Our mission statement is just to help people know Jesus and live for him daily. That's our mission statement. Is that, is it, is that in our outline somewhere? I'd like us to say that together if it's, if it's there somewhere. I'm not sure if it is. But if it is, let's, let's grab it and we'll say it together. Our mission statement is very simple. To help others know Jesus and live for him daily. Everything we do as a church is to fulfill this mission. Is to use our influence in Cheney on the West Plains for that purpose. Number one, to help people know and believe in Jesus. All of us can do that together. I hope you are. Second, to help people live for Jesus daily. So think about that for a minute. Who are you helping believe in Jesus for the first time? There's probably someone around you that needs Jesus. Are you helping them get one step closer to Jesus? Are you helping people live for Jesus daily? This is one of the reasons at, at Cheney Faith Center that we encourage every single person to be in a relational environment to be in a small group of people that are studying God's word, praying together, and encouraging one another once a week outside of Sunday morning. Because we know that it's in those relational environments that good things happen, and that we are encouraged, built up, and we learn to live for Jesus daily in those relational environments. We've been talking lately about who's your few, right? Who are your few? Who are the people you're doing life with right now? That group of people that you're doing life with right now, just grab them. And on Wednesday night or Thursday at lunch, wherever, just get together, open your First Corinthians journal, and talk about what you've been studying, what you've been journaling, what you've been writing down, and what you've been praying about. It's a very simple way to live for Jesus daily. Now, here's something else about influencers. Influencers train. They train. Verse 27 says, But I train like a champion athlete. I subdue my body and get it under my control so that after preaching the good news to others, I myself won't be disqualified. Here's what Paul says. Christians train. We train our bodies, our minds, to honor Jesus so the world will see Jesus in us. Now, Paul's not talking about a new, fandangled, fancy diet to change your physical body. Even though that might not be a bad thing, that's not what he's talking about. 
He's talking about our holiness. He's talking about our influence. He's talking about our worship. He's talking about saying no to sin and choosing to live in the strength of the Holy Spirit instead of the narcissism of our world. Train like a champion athlete. Train so you can use your influence to win people for Jesus. Say, Pastor Mark, what would that look like to train myself? Well, a couple things. You could memorize some verses in the Bible that would be helpful for you to share Jesus with others. That would be a way you could train your mind and your heart so that you have something to say to someone when they ask you about Jesus. You can read and study God's word regularly so that you can give people answers from God's word, not just from your own opinion. Because what God's word says and what God's word declares will last forever. Another thing you can do and another way to train is practice your story. You have a story. The story about how you came to believe in Jesus and how you can share that in three to five minutes is super important to people because they want to hear about you. They want to hear about how Jesus changed you. And if you know your story well, and you know how to share Jesus in the middle of your story, and you know how to talk about Jesus in the middle of your story and encourage them to believe in Jesus through your story, that's a super great way to share Jesus with somebody. But you have to train yourself in that. You have to practice your story. And you have to share your story on a regular basis and train yourself to get better at it. So W is worship Jesus. I is influence. N is notice the spiritually unresolved around you. Notice the spiritually unresolved around you. Let's talk about this for a moment. Let's answer, first of all, what the spiritually unresolved are. Who's spiritually unresolved? Well, it means several things. It means that I haven't resolved that there's a spiritual world that's much more powerful than the physical one. I haven't resolved that, that actually I am spirit. And my spirit and what God created and put in this body is the real me and it's more important than my physical life. My spiritual life is more important than my physical life. It means I have not resolved that my spirit will live for eternity and Jesus is the only one that can help me live for eternity. I haven't resolved that yet. The spiritually unresolved are those who need Jesus, need to believe in Jesus, and maybe are far from Jesus. They need someone to show them Jesus, to show them a life devoted to Jesus. So let me ask you again. Do you notice the spiritually unresolved around you? Do you see them? Do you recognize them? And what do you think about them? What do you think about the spiritually unresolved? Do you just judgmentally say, oh man, your problem, sorry? Or do you have compassion? Did you notice something in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that almost every single time Jesus saw an unbeliever that was struggling in life, it says this, Jesus had 
compassion on them. And he moved. He did something miraculous, or he did something gracious, or he did something loving, or he talked to them about the love of God and how the law of God and the purposes of God and the plans of God would work out in their life. See, Jesus noticed the spiritually unresolved everywhere around him. Did you notice he also noticed the very, very religious people, but he didn't have very good things to say about them. Jesus focused, if you noticed, all of his attention on who? The spiritually unresolved. Therefore, modeling for us what we should spend most of our time on. The spiritually unresolved. In fact, here's what's interesting. Jesus spent most of his time with two groups of people. The spiritually unresolved, those who needed to know Jesus, and the disciples, those who needed to learn how to live for Jesus daily. He was in a relational environment with the disciples, and then he spent all the rest of his time talking to those that needed him. Maybe we should do the same. When you see a spiritually unresolved people, person, do you think, I'm responsible? I can help. I can use my worship and my influence to help that person know Jesus. I hope so, because I think that's what Jesus wants us to do. Now, what would helping someone believe in Jesus compare to? What does that compare to? This process of you and me getting involved in, in helping people find Christ partnering with God in the work of the gospel. Well, if we could put all of the joy and excitement and accolades and blessings of a whole bunch of things in our culture, like maybe the Super Bowl, winning the NBA Finals, the World Series, the Stanley Cup, the World Cup, winning the lottery, and all expenses paid, vacation to Disneyland, and whatever else cool you think would be in there and roll that all up into one, it wouldn't even come close. It wouldn't even come close to helping change a life for eternity. See, the blessings that come when we believe in Jesus are far superior to anything on earth. Like, can you really compare the Stanley Cup to eternal life? Not really. Can you really compare winning the lottery to understanding your true identity? No. Can we really compare a life that is lived in perfect peace to winning the Super Bowl? No. But these are the things we get when we believe in Jesus. We get a life full of hope and joy unspeakable, grace that never ends, unconditional love. These are all things that are a part of our life and nothing compares to any of those things. And you and I have those things resident inside of us just bursting to come out as we help people know and learn about Jesus. There are roughly six billion people that are spiritually unresolved on the planet right now. Six billion. There's probably about 300 million of them right here in the United States. There's about 10,000 of them that are right here in Cheney. And Paul said this in Colossians 4, 5. 
Walk in the wisdom of God as you live before the unbelievers and make it your duty to make him known. I want to challenge us. I want to challenge every one of you, whether you're in this room or you're watching me live. I want to challenge you to get busy. I want to challenge you to notice the spiritually unresolved around you. To worship Jesus and to help the spiritually unresolved see what it looks like to have a life devoted to Jesus. And be excited about worshiping Jesus. Have a joy in it. Don't be, we don't need depressed Christians, amen? If you're a depressed Christian, I know that sometimes that happens, but if I'm Debbie Downer all the time, nobody's gonna say, I want that, (laughs) right? Let's be Christians that live and walk and operate in the joy of the Lord. And that doesn't mean that there aren't times that, We feel depressed. There absolutely are. And we know that the Lord could snap us out of that at any time. But let's not make that our entire life. Amen. Use your influence to help the spiritually unresolved understand how much they need a Savior. I want to encourage you. Over the next several months, maybe into 2021, I want to encourage you, pick one person that you're just going to devote your time to to pray, your actions, your words, and you're going to try as far as you can to win that one person for Jesus. Here's what I know. If that person believes in Jesus and you've won that one person for Jesus, guess what you'll want? Second one. (laughs) Ask any athlete. After the way they win the Super Bowl, about a week after the Super Bowl, what do they say? I want another one. (laughs) I want another one, right? Same is true for us. A win for us is somebody believing in Jesus, and it's never enough to just have one. We want everyone in our city to believe in Jesus, amen? That's our heart. That's our desire, because there's nothing more special than helping someone believe in Jesus as their Savior. It will change their life, but guess what? It'll also change yours. So let's do these three things. Let's worship Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's use our influence. And let's notice the spiritually unresolved around us in the hopes that we can use our life to change theirs as we point them to Jesus. Amen? Well, would you stand with me and let's pray as we go. Before we go... um, There might be someone watching. You might be watching live. There might be someone in the room. And you've been listening to me and you've been hearing me and you're thinking, you know what? I'm not sure I've resolved what I need to resolve spiritually. And if that's where you're at, I want to tell you, it's super simple. It's super simple to begin this process of entering a relationship with Jesus. All you have to do is say, I I want a relationship with Jesus. It's that simple. Just have to say, Jesus, I I understand. I haven't believed in you. Uh, I haven't lived my life for you. In fact, I've done a lot of things that wouldn't glorify you. And I'm sorry for those things. And I ask you to come into my life and change me right now. And so if you're watching and that's where you're at or you're in the room, I want you to know it's literally that simple. And I want to encourage you to to pray a prayer like that today. 
It's today's your day, right? Today's your day to say, I'm going to resolve in my life that I want to live eternally. I don't want to be stuck here. I don't want to be stuck in my sin pattern. I want to, be, I want to live for Christ. And so um, could we just bow our heads for just a minute? And I just want to give those folks a minute to process that and to think about that. And could you just begin to pray for someone that you know? Pray for someone that you're close with. Pray for a neighbor. Pray for a coworker. Pray for someone in your family. Let's just begin to pray for those people that are spiritually unresolved. But for those of you that are watching live or going to watch later this week, or maybe you're in the room right now, if you feel right now like, yeah, I need to resolve this in my life. I need to say yes to Jesus. I need to believe in him. I need to believe that he died for me and he rose again so that I could have eternal life. If that's how you feel and you want to resolve that this morning, right now, because you don't want to wait another minute or live another minute without him, I'm going to ask you to do something. It's a physical action, but it's really what's happening in your spirit and in your mind and in your heart. And it's just to show Jesus that, how you feel. But if you feel like you're, you want to say, hey, Jesus, I want to start a relationship with you, would you just raise your hand so that he can see it? And you're just saying, Jesus, I want to start a relationship with you today. I've, I've not lived for you before, but I want to start one today. And if you're at home, you can just raise your hand right in your room, right in the room where you're watching. Jesus can see you. And he'll recognize your hand raised and he'll say, he'll meet you right where you're at. Well, Lord, we thank you and we praise you this morning that you left heaven and came here. You died on a cross and you rose again to set us free. That's no small thing. It's no small thing that we are changed and that we are free. And the biggest thing we could ever do is to help others win that freedom for themselves too. And so Jesus, I pray that you would help us to train. I pray that you would help us to run this race with a fervency, with a passion, with an understanding that there are people all around us that need you. And would you help us to, to run to win? Would you help us to see the spiritually unresolved all around us? Would you help us to use our influence for your kingdom that we are partnering with you for the sake of the gospel? And would you help us to worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength that everything about our life would be worshiping you so others see Jesus in us, not us. They'd see Jesus. Lord, that's our heart and that's our passion this morning. Help us to help people know you and live for you daily. We give you thanks and praise. And as we go, help that to be our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.